0: Whether you're watching today, this morning, through the week, we want to say thank you so much. Let's just get caught up on where we are in this four-week series called Underwater, our study in the book of Jonah. Well, week one, we talked about disobedience and how it's always a choice. It's always a choice. And for Jonah, it was a choice that led to dissent, it led to depression, and it came with collateral damage. Yet, no matter how far you are from God, His grace is always available. In the second week, in chapter 2, we learn that our disobedience can never, can never, ever, ever outrun or overpower God's grace. We'll find that as a follower of Jesus, we've discovered that not only are we a receiver of grace, but we are a product of grace. So we are to mirror the grace that's been shown to us. Then last week, Jonah arrives in Nineveh. After everything that he experienced so far in his story, he reluctantly obeyed and preached a heartless message. He's expecting the city to burn. He gives this heartless five-word sermon, and wouldn't you know it, 120,000 people change their mind about God and repent. This week, we find in chapter four, Jonah is angry, and we find the reason why he disobeyed in the first place. So let me ask a question, have you experienced a tailspin, a moment created intentionally or unintentionally followed by moments where life spins out of control, it's a downward spiral and it ends in a crash and by bringing this up I'm not trying to in any way create any unnecessary flashbacks for our military friends. But one of the stories that quickly comes to mind is the movie Black Hawk Down, which was based on a true story. And in a tailspin, it's chaotic and it's full of tension. But I'm convinced that we experience relational, financial, emotional, spiritual tailspins. Let's just be real about it. We do. And sometimes it happens because of an outside influence. It's a friend, it's a crazy uncle who... Makes a decision that has consequences to you and your family. Or maybe it's a global pandemic and that comes along with government mandates. Or maybe you go to the doctor for a routine checkup and the next thing you know, you have that positive report. Or maybe you've been in an accident because someone was texting or driving while drinking. But sometimes, let's be real. The tailspin happens because of us. We give in to temptation. We choose work or we choose something of less importance over something important like family. We make people into projects. People are just numbers to us. Or maybe for you, you're unable to forgive. You're unable to let go. Maybe for you, it's it's you, we begin to overspend as a way to cope. But here's the thing about Jonah. He continued his his tailspin. And he knew the truth. He rejected the truth. He knew it. He didn't like it. So he did his own thing. Jonah did Jonah. And it was self-inflicted. Y'all, sometimes we follow his example. We continue poor health and diet choices after the doctor's report. We continue to listen to those who agree with us or or tell us what we want to hear. Or we find people to do that for us, to agree with us we continue to spend, instead of pay off debt, we continue to control the situation. And by doing that, we're trying to attempt to control other people and their reactions and decisions. For some of us, we lie to ourselves. and By lying to ourselves, we're lying to other people. We continue to fuel our anger by thinking of the situation and how that other person is going to respond and how we're going to respond to them and We get very reactionary and we lose sleep. We we don't eat well because we're thinking about it. And in the end, God is trying to speak to us through his words. He's trying to communicate truth. And maybe he uses someone else to communicate truth. And we just don't want to hear it. So we ignore it. We ignore what's true. And we continue the tailspin. Just like Jonah. We'll discover as we walk through the final chapter of Jonah that something that breaks the heart of God will not fill yours. Something that breaks the heart of God will not fill yours. Now, let's catch up. You may be joining us for the first time. Here's where we are in the story. Jonah, our prophet, is called by God to share a message with Nineveh, which is in modern-day Iraq. He doesn't want to go, so he goes 1,200 miles in the opposite direction, Tarshish, which is in modern-day Spain. On the way there, there's a storm. He gets thrown overboard, a big fish. Swallows him up. He's in there three days, three nights. Gets spit out. Travels to Nineveh. Gives the message. They, they respond, and notice what happens. He's greatly displeased, and he became furious. I mean, think about it. One hundred twenty thousand people just repented from their violent, evil lifestyle. Most of us would chalk that up as a win especially preachers. I mean, think about giving a five-word sermon and 120,000 people changes their mind about God. That is a big deal. But Jonah was angry with the results. So he prays to the Lord. And every time you notice the Lord in all caps in the Old Testament, that's God's personal name. He says, please, Lord, isn't this what I said while still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew you were a gracious And compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me. It is better for me to die than to live. Apparently, Jonah and God had this conversation before. He left for Joppa to board a ship to head towards Spain. Jonah feared that God was who he said he was. Now we know. Now we know why he ran. He knew that God, out of who he is, would relent from destroying Nineveh if they would repent. It's possible that Jonah received the assignment. He knew that this could be a potential outcome. And I mean, why else preach this message if there wasn't a chance of God relenting if they were repenting? Jonah played the judge. He played the jury with the Ninevites. He believed that God should be the executioner, period. If they were wrong, the city needed to be destroyed. What I love about Jonah is that he knows the word so well. So he's beginning quoting something from Exodus about who God is, God's character. Then in the end, even though he knows who God is, he disapproves how God treated the Ninevites. He doesn't like the way that God handled it. According to Jonah, the way that the reason why he ran, he's justified in blaming God. Hey, God, this is who you are. That's why I ran. He still blames God. I mean, think about it, man. This guy would rather die than be part of the success story of 120,000 people being saved from destruction. I mean, have you ever ex- experienced or expected something and the opposite happened? You expected something, the opposite happened. We can lose our mind. We can get angry. We can become this rage monster. But notice what happens in Jonah four four. The Lord asked him, Hey, is it right for you to be angry? It's an excellent question. Jonah had no right to be angry. I think we would all agree. He had no right to be angry. God had shown so much patience with Jonah. He had shown so much patience with Israel's kings. He had been slow to anger with them. He was compassionate, abounding in faithful love. He was keeping disasters from happening. God does the same thing, not just for Jonah, not just for Israel's evil kings, but He also does it for those Israel conquered. He showed mercy to those who accepted Him as the one true God. Think about Rahab in the city of Jericho. Her and her family were spared because she believed in God. Notice in in verse 5, Jonah left the city. He found a place a place east of it. He made a, himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. Notice, and this is something that I was like, man, why would he do this? He goes east of the city. So he goes east of the city instead of going west of the city. It made no sense to me because he lived west of the city. Why go east of the city? Why not preach and go back home? You don't want to be there. does it make sense. Why stay? It seems that Jonah expected them to go back to their violent, evil ways, and then God would destroy them. There's no way. In his mind, there's no way they can stop for 40 days. Well, they did. And perhaps east of the city provided Jonah the perfect vantage point that if they gave in, God was going to destroy them. He made a shelter, which meant that he was going to be there more than a few days. He was, ex- he was having an extended stay. His shelter would have been made from stone without a roof. I mean, remember, Nineveh would be close to modern-day Mosul, Iraq. Not many trees there. And notice what God does for him as he's dealing with the Middle Eastern heat. Then the Lord appointed a plant, and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted and he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. Like, Look, if we're using the same metrics that Jonah uses to judge, God should not have provided Jonah a roof. He shouldn't have. His actions did not deserve that type of compassion. It did not deserve that type of mercy. Notice that Jonah is experiencing trouble even before the plant. He's dealing with the heat winds. He's dealing with the bright sun. So he decides to make himself some type of shelter. And then God does that extra thing by providing him a roof. And that's another miracle that God shows that He controls nature, and he grows a plant in the middle of the desert that provides shade shade from the heat and the sun. He controlled nature and animals, but not Jonah. Jonah needed to surrender his free will and trust God's character. God provided something for Jonah that Jonah couldn't provide for himself, just like he did with showing mercy and compassion to the Ninevites. Then the next morning. God allowed the plant to die. Jonah did not like that. Jonah missed the plant. His suffering began to increase a little bit more. He felt so bad that it's better off if I just die. Notice what happens next as you wrap up the book. Then God asked Jonah, I mean, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it's right. I'm angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You cared about the plant which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. So I may not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between the right and the left. It's clear that Jonah's values were out of whack just like the Ninevites' morals. His values were just as out of whack as their value as their morals he was self-centered he was consumed about what he wanted more than what God wanted in the end. He was a consumer like he benefited from the blessings without any gratitude. He wasn't thankful for what God did for him. Jonah didn't listen to his counterpart Isaiah who shared a message that Israel is to be a light to the nations. See, the Ninevites, they were not like Jonah. They didn't have the law. They were not chosen to be God's people. Jonah should have felt sympathy. I mean, he should have seen this as an opportunity to share the message of hope to them. Then the story stops. There's not even a be continued. We don't know how... We don't know what happened. The rest is just speculation. Before we go, there's one big takeaway for you and for me. This is the takeaway. Something that breaks the heart of God will not fill yours. Something that breaks the heart of God will not fill yours. The people of Nineveh, with their broken moral compass, were doing things that they thought filled them, but it broke the heart of God. Jonah who expected them to die, who expected their city to be wiped out, felt good about that, but it broke the heart of God. Look, sin can never fill us. Sin can never satisfy us. Sin will leave us starving. Some of us are pursuing things that that we or others have convinced ourselves will make us happy, but it's breaking the heart of God. We lie to our boss or to our family, to our spouse. breaks the heart of God. Fudging the numbers on the tax return breaks the heart of God. Having the affair or thinking to have the affair breaks the heart of God. Talking negatively about people to other people breaks the heart of God. Buying the brand new everything without supporting local church breaks the heart of God. The thing that satisfies you and fills you and me His faithful following. That's what fills us. See, Jesus valued obedience over comfort as he told his disciples, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus is saying, hey, the thing that fills you, the thing that satisfies you is obedience. It's faithful following. That's how Allison says it, uh, who's our group's coordinator. Faithful following. Jonah's an example of what not to do. Like part of Part of faithful following is to love the enemy. Jesus did that well. Jonah did not. Look, I know we don't talk about this a lot, but before your salvation, or maybe you're yet to become a follower of Jesus, you know the thing that's not talked a lot about is that you and I, we were God's enemy. We were not friends with God. I mean, think about it. God pursued us to have that relationship restored. And we do that by believing that Jesus took our place. We confess that our sin broke that relationship by, by believing that Jesus took our place so that we could receive forgiveness. That's how we're restored. See, enemy love is part of the gospel, man. It's, it's the heart of the gospel. Notice what notice what Paul writes He says, once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, it's expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. Jesus did that for you, and Jesus did that for me. And we're supposed to reflect that example. Enemy love is the gospel. Paul also writes, bless those who persecute you Bless and do not curse. I'm learning this. I'm growing in this. I've been praying for as we're going through this building process, the county has not made things easy. And honestly, some of the things they have in place just seem so senseless. But I've caught myself getting angry. I've caught myself not real happy. And I've been reminded of this verse, I've been memorizing this verse. Okay, I need to bless those. Are making life difficult. I need to bless and not curse. Hopefully, you'll join me in that, whatever you have going on in your life. So, two questions are your wrap up, Jonah. Number one, what are you expecting to fill you? What are you expecting to fill you? And number two, how can you value obedience or faithful following over comfort this week? How can I value obedience? over comfort this week well guys let's pray together heavenly father thank you for this opportunity to come together online father before we get so focused about next week and celebrating easter together help us just sort of stay in the moment father is there anything that we're trying to fill us or satisfy us that isn't obedience Call us out on it. Help us to listen to you. Give us the strength to faithfully follow you. And Remind us through the week to follow Jesus' example that obedience is a thing that fills us, that satisfies us. In Jesus' name, amen.